Good morning, Hope Church. It's good to be with you here again. Some of you know every year we end, uh, we end the school year going up to Rock Mountain Bible Camp. It's about 40 minutes north of here. We get to spend a week together. It's, it's phenomenal uh, getting to close out the school year. And since we're coming from camp, <clears throat> I take no responsibility for how my kids smell or how any of the students smell. So if there's any wafts of something, it's not on me. I'll just say that. I took a shower this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at Judges, the book of Judges. So if you have your Bible, open to Judges chapter 2. It's also printed in your bulletin. And when I was growing up, uh, there was this public service announcement figure named Mr. Yuck. You may remember him it's from like the late 70s, early 80s. Mr. Yuck was uh, this little sticker, a circular sticker with this black outline that had poison controls number on it and a green face in the middle. With, and his, his eyes were scrunched up and he was sticking his tongue out and go, you know, it's supposed to be, yeah, danger, toxic, right? And mom and dad were supposed to take Mr. Yuck and put him on all the things under the, the sink, you know, like the Clorox and the toilet spray and the Lysol and all of the products that would make little kids sick if you ingested them, right? Mr. Yuck was this giant warning. And when we open the Bible to the book of Judges, the book of Judges is like one giant Mr. Yuck sticker in the Bible. A lot of people think that Christianity is a tool, a a means for uh, grabbing power and keeping people oppressed. That Christianity is a means for um, marginalizing people, right? That it's misogynistic. Uh, that it is a way to, it produces pride and self-righteousness and on and on and on because of the exclusive truth claims. When we look at historical study of the judges, we actually find that all of these things, right, misogyny, civil war, power grabs, uh, just society tearing at the fray and at the edges, all of these things happen not because people embrace God's word, but because they wander away from it exactly what happens in the book of Judges. The book of Judges is one giant death spiral into oblivion. And it happens because God's people walk away from God's word, not embrace it. And we see in chapter 2 that when we abandon the Lord, it doesn't just cause us grief, but it actually provokes the Lord to anger. When we abandon the Lord, it doesn't just cause us grief, but it actually provokes the Lord to anger. So read with me Judges chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim. And he said, I brought you from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. 
And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for the Lord was moved to pity by their groanings because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive them out before them, any of the nations that Joshua left when he died, in order to test Israel, whether they would take care to walk in the way of the Lord, as their fathers had done. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. This is God's word. Lord, as we open your word and we seek to hear it. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds to know it. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we abandon the Lord, it causes us grief. That's what we see in verses 1 to 5. There's this mysterious figure that appears in verses 1 to 5, and that is the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is somebody who appears a lot in the Old Testament. And the, the word translated there, angel, is the Hebrew meliach, which just, just means messenger. So this person is a messenger of the Lord, and the, this messenger, this angel, is somebody who creates between God and his people. He's somebody who speaks on God's behalf as if God were speaking and possesses the attributes that God himself possesses. We see that when Moses encounters the angel of the Lord at the burning bush. And so this person, this angel of the Lord, this figure shows up with a message for the Israelites. You guys blew it. You guys blew it. That's what he says. Look at verses 1 to 2 again. He says, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down the altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? 
This is actually not a rhetorical question because the two commands that the angel of the Lord recites, you shall not make a covenant and you shall break down the altars, the people actually do the opposite. They do the exact opposite of both of those commands. In chapter 1, just a page over, verse 24, it says this, And the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Please show us the way into the city, and we will deal kindly with you. That word kindly right there that the Israelite spies use in talking to this native Canaanite is chesed. It's the covenant faithfulness of God. They made a covenant with an inhabitant of the land. And then later in chapter 2, we read about all the ways that the Israelites worshipped these native gods in Canaan. And there's absolutely no way to worship a god in the ancient world without building an altar for them. And so no sooner had these words rolled off of the angel of the Lord's lips than, in fact, we realize that they've done the opposite of what God commanded them to do which is so often what we do. And we even, we even see the, the, the tension that is signaled from the very geographical movements of the angel of the Lord. When you look at verse 1, it says this. It says, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim. Gilgal was a place of worship in the book of Joshua. If you were to take the book of Joshua and the book of Judges and put them right next to each other, Joshua is about all of the good things that the people of Israel did, all of the ways that they kept the Lord's command as they inherited his promises. And the book of Judges is a, is a photo negative. It shows you all of the ways that they disobeyed the very things that God commanded them to do. It's like Joshua built up and Judges tears down. They even overlap in terms of the geography, the land displacements in the book of Joshua is roughly how the judges are addressed in the book of Judges. It follows the same geography. And so for the angel of the Lord to go from a place, the place of Gilgal, which was a place of worship before the centralized temple came, to Bochim shows that the Israelites are turning from people of worship to people of weeping. That's what's going on. As they turn from the Lord, they're no longer people of worship, but they become people of weeping. And they respond with grief. You see, you see this in verse 4. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochim. When I was in middle school, freshman in high school, uh, I had this stash of really foul CDs, really horrible CDs. Um, you know, Gen Xers didn't have the best music. And so I had this stash, and, and every, every month I would go camping. I would go away for a weekend with this guy's group at a church. We would go rock climbing and spelunking, which is like, you know, cave diving, whitewater rafting, rappelling, all this kind of cool stuff. And I came back one weekend and got into the car and was greeted by a very icy hello from my mother. Just very deadpan, very like, oh boy, like... You knew something was coming. And so we drive this 15 minutes, which felt like, you know, it was five hours from the parking lot back to our home. And I take my camping gear and I take it up to my room. I put it down. And there on my desk is my binder of CDs. And with a very, very long note from my mother. And I thought, oh, boy, I'm dead meat. And so what did I do, man? I turned on the waterworks. I started just, ah! just weeping like oh my goodness 
sorry. I mean, it was so bad. It's so bad. I'm so sorry. Right? Went into my parents' room. is just like gushing with tears. But on the inside, I thought, man, I hope I get off the hook. I hope I don't get busted. This is going to stink. In fact, one of the consequences that I had for this, I used to workshop and them through with the, with the radial saw. Just stick them there and then throw them in the trash. Next beat, throw them in the trash. It was bad. But my external condition of grief and weeping was completely disconnected from my heart. There was a complete disconnect between the two. And so when we see the Israelites weeping here, we have to ask, why are they weeping? Are they weeping because they have broken covenant with their loving God, their Lord and Savior, who delivered them out of Egypt? A refrain we hear over and over again. I brought you out of Egypt. I saved you. Are they grieving because they've broken relationship with God and with one another, and their sin has run rampant? Or, Or are they grieving because they don't want the consequences that come with their disobedience? What is it? We have to ask ourselves that question, right? You get up in the middle of the night, you go downstairs, you get on the computer, and you start going to websites you probably shouldn't go to. And then another family member happens to get up, needs to use the restroom, get a drink of water, and you're busted. And you're caught. Why are you upset? Are you upset because you have broken trust and confidence and sinned against family and against God? Or because you know that there's going to be some negative consequences coming. You have a, you have a hunting habit or a handbag habit. You know, take, take whichever. Um, and it starts to build and build and build to the point where you apply for a credit card without your spouse actually knowing that you've applied for this credit card. And a couple months go by and a year rolls by. And you start racking up an enormous, like an inordinate amount of debt in order to fuel this hobby. And then your spouse finally gets the bill in the mail, and they see that, oh, my goodness, your financial situation is way different than you anticipated because of this little omission of information that you forgot to communicate about. And you're caught. Why are you upset? Are you upset because you've broken the trust of your husband or your wife? You've squandered resources that God has given you in a habit that won't go away as you try to escape painful situations? Or... Are, are you just trying to avoid the consequences? Because when we abandon the Lord, it causes us grief. But it doesn't just cause us grief. It actually provokes the Lord to anger. That's what we see in verses 11 to 19. If you ever uh, wanted a case study of, of the default position of the human heart, verses 11 to 19 do a pretty good job. There are no fewer than nine different verbs that are used to describe the way the Israelites interacted with God. We can see that in, in scanning through it, starting in verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals in the Ashtroth. You see it in, in verse 17 as well. They did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and did not do so. And then again in 19. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, 
going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. Yikes. That's, that's a pretty, pretty abysmal picture of the default of the human heart. You know, imagine that you're counseling a couple, husband and wife, they're friends of yours, um, and you start to find that there's some sort of uh, conflict between the husband and wife. And it uh, turns out the husband's been working late, coming home a little bit weirder, like, oh, I just have other things to do at the office. Uh, but then that, that kind of builds and builds until he's taken an inordinate amount of business trips. And the wife's like, look, I don't know what's going on. I'm trying to figure it out. And you start to find out that there's a, there's a female coworker that he's been spending a lot of time with. And uh, then text messages come to the surface, and it eventually comes out that he's actually been having an affair. That would be devastating. That, that wife would have every reason to be furious with her husband. And that's exactly what's pictured here. That's exactly what's pictured. That's the way that the Israelites, that's the way that we often treat God as an unfaithful spouse. It makes complete sense. It complete, makes complete sense why God would be frustrated, why he would be provoked to anger. That makes absolute sense. But what what does not make any sense at all are two verses, verses 16 and 18. These don't make any sense. Given all those conditions, all these circumstances, these verses do not make sense. Verse 16, the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered him. And verse 18, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groanings because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. The very party who was so offended and so taken advantage of, so maligned and just cast to the side in this relationship, the person who gave everything for the Israelites, and yet was given a stiff arm in return, at the drop of a hat, he would have pity and mercy and compassion on them in an undeserving way. And friends, that's exactly what Jesus Christ does for us. See, the book of Judges is painting in negative. There's actually a discipline in uh, art and drawing where instead of drawing the object, you actually draw what's called the negative space. So if we took one of these chairs and set it up here, and I said, all right, class, draw this chair. Instead of looking at trying to define the lines of the chair, you would actually focus on everything that's not the chair. You'd focus on the hole between the legs of the chair and the empty space in between the back of the chair and the bottom of the chair. It it, it sounds like a, a really weird exercise, and it is, but it produces a distinctly different type of image. And that's exactly what Judges is doing here. The book of Judges is drawing all the negative spaces around the Israelites, all the negative spaces around our hearts, and showing us what we cry out for and what we need. See, when we retrace this passage and see God's goodness and kindness, we see, like in verses 1 to 5, we need a mediator. We need somebody sent from God who speaks on behalf of God, possesses the attributes of God, but doesn't eradicate the people, but draws near to the people. And that is what Jesus Christ has done. The only Son of God sent from the Father, who is God of God, light of light, as we read, possesses the attributes of God, speaks on behalf of God, because he is God, to dwell among us, not to run away from us, but to be near to us. 
And like with Joshua in verses 6 to 10, we see that whenever these leaders would die, the people would fall away. And so we know we need a leader who will actually never die. And in Jesus Christ, in his resurrection from the grave, we see that he is ever before the Father, pleading on our behalf, bringing us resurrection life through the power of the Spirit, giving us what we can't provide, giving us what we don't have in ourselves and what we need. And in verses 11 to 19, all the ways that Israel turned aside, served to the gods, abandoned, provoked, Jesus Christ did what we couldn't. He served the Lord and not other gods. He refused to abandon, but but clinged to the Father and did so in such a way, not turning to the right, not turning to the left, and it took him all the way to the cross. All the way to the cross. And he went there for our abandonment. Jesus Christ went to the the cross because the father was provoked to anger, not because of him, but because of us. And all the ways that Israel failed, Christ has succeeded to bring us this new life. Because when we abandon the Lord, it doesn't just cause us grief, but provokes the Lord to anger. However, when we cling to Jesus Christ in faith and hope, it doesn't just bring us joy, but gives us peace with God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, the ugly parts coming out. Uh, That's what the book of Judges is. It's the ugly parts of our hearts and the ugly parts of Israel's history coming to the surface. And uh, Lord, it'd be very easy for us to look at the synopsis of their lives or look at some of the uh, wild figures in the book and look down our noses at them. But Lord, we, we are more like them than we are unlike them. The difference is often in degree and not quality. And so, Jesus, I ask for your kindness and your mercy upon our hearts today and this week. They would see you as the one who kept covenant when we could not, who keeps covenant and brings us in that power. Lord Jesus, you ever intercede for us. You go before us. You keep us on the way. And we thank you for that grace and mercy. You are the most uh, concentrated show of pity that we could ever have. So, Lord, I ask the ability to cling to you, to follow you, to experience that joy, and to know we have peace with you in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.